And now, your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Uh, Great news, and it is great news. It looks like we may avoid a government shutdown. Uh, I know everyone is looking forward to that. Uh, Not. Uh, The uh, Moody's, in fact, had already downgraded our credit rating. And uh, again, the stock market just up a little bit today, keeping going. And uh, based upon the idea that Mike Johnson has not been some kind of ogre or bumbler or fool, he seems to have handled the situation of actually keeping this government operating uh, as well as could be expected. There will be some votes in the House where most of the Republicans, Chip Roy has issued a statement of opposition. The secret of uh, how they're going to do this, which we'll be talking about a little bit later with Peter Coy of the New York Times, the secret of how they're going to do this is they are going to do two different continuing resolutions where it's not all pied up with every appropriation for every department of government for everything that this government does uh, all being loaded into one bill and no there will be no extra money here for the border or for israel or for ukraine but uh that should be available soon Uh, they uh, are planning apparently in terms of the government shutdown to uh delay the new uh, deadline to February 2nd and to January 19th. So it gives them a little bit more time to negotiate and the Republicans to try to get some of the budgetary reductions that uh, Speaker Mike Johnson says uh, we need and the Republicans want. Speaking of what Republicans want, Apparently not enough people wanted Tim Scott to be the nominee for president of the United States. He withdrew last night very dramatically. He did it on live TV without even alerting his staff beforehand. We'll play that moment for you and talk a little bit uh, with David uh, Drucker of The Dispatch. We'll be talking with him about the impact of the withdrawal of uh, Tim Scott who is a very fine U.S. senator. He was a good candidate. I actually think he had a good debate, in fact, uh, the other night. But uh, we will speak with him about uh, whether he will ultimately endorse another candidate. He hasn't done so so far. It it has to be good news for one candidate, however, because of the calendar And uh, we will get to that and what that means. Uh, There's also uh, a figures about the the uh, listenership, the viewership for the Republican debates last week. Uh, The New York Post headline Republican debate ratings drop again, down more than 40 percent from the first debate. Uh, Viewership for Wednesday night's third GOP presidential primary debate was down more than 40 percent compared to the first debate held in late August. An average of 7.9 
uh, five million people tuned in to watch five Republican presidential candidates spar. Yeah, but the one presidential candidate that you would expect them to be sparring with that would have helped to get bigger ratings was busy doing an, a rally with a, another two-hour speech in Hialeah, Florida, about 15 miles away from where they were having uh, their debate in Miami. And in terms of how did uh, people think the debaters performed, I mean, we had talked about this. There was a Washington Post poll, and uh, among debate watchers, 34% thought that Nikki Haley performed best. Uh, No other candidate on the stage came close to Haley. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was a distant second with 23% rating him best. And businessman Vivek Ramaswamy uh, made a relatively negative impression. So people went along with the idea of what um, Nikki Haley said, you're just scum. Not a nice thing to say. Uh, he had 29 debate to percent of debate watchers saying he performed the worst, which uh, gave him a big lead in that category that he doesn't want. Meanwhile, in terms of the desperate and difficult war in the Middle East, uh, Yoav Gallant, who is the defense minister uh, for the Israeli government, and he is considered one of the more moderate, cautious voices in the Netanyahu cabinet. Uh, Defense Minister Gallant said Hamas has now lost control of Gaza. Well, with tens of thousands of Israeli troops, well-armed, very well-prepared, apparently, and trained for this, with uh, those troops in Gaza City, the IDF troops took up possession of uh, one important uh, goal, which was the parliament building. Now, who knew that Gaza had a parliament building? I mean, seriously, they don't have any elections, so what <laughs> What kind of parliament do you have? No, really, they don't. There are no elections. It's, it's not part of the Hamas approach. The, uh, also, from the uh, uh, Middle East, uh, rockets have targeted central Israel for the first time in three days. Uh, The Israeli Defense Forces say the terrorists fired RPGs, uh, uh, grenade launchers, from a Gaza hospital entrance at troops. And they have actual footage of uh, some of the terrorists firing the rockets from the entrance of the hospital. Uh, The uh, IDF killed in the process... uh, 21 gunmen. The uh, ground total of uh, since the invasion began, the uh, IDF has now reported uh, 44 uh, killed in action, which um, uh, considering what they were afraid of with this operation, and considering the 1,200, some say, now it's 1,400, some say, it's it, unclear, but over 1,000 people, civilians and some soldiers killed on October the 7th. It's uh, remarkable. Meanwhile, they found that the hospital was well-stacked with all kinds of important medical equipment. 
underneath the hospital in the basement, uh, said uh, Admiral Hagari, who is a press spokesman for the uh, IDF. Underneath the hospital in the basement, we found a Hamas command and control center uh, with suicide vests, grenades, AK-47 assault rifles, explosive devices, RPGs, and other weapons. Uh, that's what he said in a um, uh, an English-language press conference. Why were these uh, items important for a hospital that is devoted to healing people exactly? Uh, that's something we don't know yet. Uh, we are going to speak a little bit about uh, two other figures who may run for president, and one of whom there is a serious article in The Hill, which is a reputable publication that says it is entirely possible, in fact likely, according to the writer Brian Robertson, that uh, the winner of the presidential campaign ultimately who goes to the White House won't be Donald Trump, it won't be Joe Biden, it won't be Kamala Harris. In fact, it won't be anyone from either of the two major parties. Are we talking about Joe Manchin? No, somebody else running for president. Who is it? We will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. This is going to be a little bit provocative. The 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955. That is plain and simply outrageous. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, just breaking news, uh, the Jerusalem Post is reporting that Hamas members said today that they told Qatari mediators the group is ready to release up to 70 women and children held as hostages in Gaza in return for a five-day truce. Uh, the truce should include a complete ceasefire and allowing aid and humanitarian relief everywhere in the Gaza Strip, said Abu, Abu Ubeda, the spokesman for the Al-Qassam Brigades. That's the same unit, uh, the same part of the terrorist army that uh, uh, attacked the uh, Israeli homes and schools and uh, some military facilities in the surprise attack of October 7th. The, uh, uh, here, Abu Ubaidah was in a recorded audio published on the group's Telegram channel. And uh, troops from the IDF's 188th Brigade eliminated a terrorist squad operating in the area of the Al-Quds Hospital in Gaza City. Al-Quds, by the way, is the way they say it means the holy, and it's the way they say Jerusalem. They don't use the, the name Jerusalem, even though that, uh, that name of that city, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, uh, was a applied there for, oh, more than a thousand years, well before a thousand years prior to any Arab presence in the vicinity at all. In any event, an IDF statement said that uh, 
there had been an anti-tank missile that was shot at IDF soldiers damaging an Israeli tank. Uh, several terrorists hidden among civilians fired two RPG launchers at IDF soldiers in front of the hospital, the statement said. And then the combat brigade, which included armor, engineering, and infantry forces, responded with live fire and shelling with air support. About 21 terrorists were killed, the IDF said, with, uh, thank God, no Israeli casualties. Uh, this goes on. The, uh, the idea that the Hamas would be willing to release 70 women and children held in, in Gaza in return for a five-day truce or ceasefire allowing humanitarian relief everywhere in the Gaza Strip, as long as that humanitarian relief is well supervised and it doesn't end up being more military equipment or fuel for the Hamas terrorists. Uh, would be, be interesting to see. We should be getting some response on that uh, particularly soon. Um, meanwhile, the, uh, uh, the, the question of what is going on with a government shutdown was put to President Biden uh, he spoke to reporters briefly in the White House today. No, it wasn't a full press conference. You can hear how desperate people were to ask him different questions. But uh, here is what the President of the United States said about a government shutdown, which, uh, by the way, is, is, it, it, it is too stupid uh, for people who actually favor a shutdown as a mere handful of uh, Republicans do, but the overwhelming majority of the Republican caucus the Republic, seems to be ready to work together with the Senate to keep this government operating at least through the end of this year, which would be until January 2nd would be the first deadline, and then February 19th. Uh, and part of what they're doing is making it different deadlines so there's not this crush where you have to get everything done, and you have to get everything done right away uh, because there's a, a, a here you're separating the different bills that they actually need to pass, so you could get a bunch of them done by uh, January second, uh, uh, January second, and then the others on February nineteenth. Here is the president who sounded at least a little bit optimistic about what's happening. Uh, listen, this is clip 20. The new Speaker of the House has a proposal. It's being negotiated with the minority leader of the House and Senator Schumer and, uh, and uh, the uh, Republican leader are also talking about it. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Apparently, there's a meeting today at 4 or 5 o'clock on the Rules Committee, and uh, we'll see what happens. Would you veto the, the latter CR? I'm not going to make a judgment what I'd veto, what I'd sign, but let's wait and see what they come up with. Okay, we will uh, wait and see what they come up with. Uh, and then there was this. Uh, the president was asked about the civilian casualties and about the possibility of fighting uh, near the largest hospital in Gaza, which is apparently the same spot 
uh, underneath the hospital, and they even have diagrams of it in the New York Times. They have a tunnel system, and uh, that's where they have their, their main storage of military equipment and main hideout for the Hamas terrorists. There also may be some of these hostages down there. Here was President Biden on the war in Gaza, and particularly the question of civilian casualties and battles taking place near that hospital. Uh, listen, clip 21. The president's been answered, guys. Thank you. The hospital in Gaza. The hospital Kelly in Gaza. In. Have you expressed any specific concerns to Israel on that, sir? Well, uh, you know, I uh, have not been reluctant in expressing my concerns what's going on. Um, and it's my hope and expectation that... Uh, there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. Uh, we're in contact and we're with, uh, with the Israelis. Also, there is an effort to uh, uh, take this pause to deal with the release of prisoners. And that's being negotiated as well with the Qataris that are engaged. And uh, so I remain somewhat hopeful that the hospital must be protected. Okay, uh, let us hope that some of those negotiations he was referring to with the Qataris, the Qataris, however you want to pronounce it, that uh, some of those negotiations are going forward. Now, they have uh, close to 240 hostages, and that's been scientifically established. Uh, if they're saying they will release 70 of them who happen to be uh, women and children, obviously that's a good start. But uh, the terms of the negotiations and working something out, uh, the, the, the main thing, and, and tomorrow there's a huge demonstration that is going to be planned, pro-Israel demonstration for the nation's capital. The big concern right now is bring them home bring the hostages home and then uh, win the war we'll also be speaking with david drucker of the dispatch about what it means that tim scott dropped out of the race and why do you do it coming up on the medved show Michael Medved show. Uh, David Drucker joins us from the dispatch uh, to try to make sense of the latest political news and what it means that one of the major candidates who at one time had appeared to be extremely electable, a guy with an optimistic message who was running on patriotism and faith, had put a lot of money and attention into the Iowa electorate where evangelical Christians represent a very big chunk of the Republicans who are going to be coming out to caucuses on January 15th, wintry time of year. Well, then uh, what happened to Tim Scott? It, it looks, by the way, as if you knew Tim Scott was quitting the race. You, you posted a piece about this before his staff even knew, before he had told anybody. Uh, were you reading well, his mind or just uh, tarot cards? How'd you do it? Well, I just um, watched and and observed. And what I noticed, Michael, uh, was that Wednesday night after the debate, Tim Scott spent a lot of time in the spin room in Miami 
um, shuttling from interview to interview. And you know how these rooms are, right? Kind of like a square, rectangular room. And all mm-hmm. around the walls, there are talk radio networks and, and television networks and, and the like. And they're all they have their little areas there. And, and, and he just kept crisscrossing the room, going from one interview to the next until he was one of the last people in the spin room. I mean, there were some, you know, a fair amount of journalists and, and all of the, the camera sticks and all of that. But uh, you don't do that as a presidential candidate unless you're losing and unless you really need to make up a lot of ground. Uh, the only other candidate that was on the debate stage that spent any time in the spin room was Vivek Ramaswamy. He spent a fair amount of time in there himself shuttling between interviews. Uh, but Tim Scott um, spent more time than even some of the reporters who – at some point in time decided they were through and, and could leave. And it, it's just something I've seen over the years. You know, you, you think they all want to come in and talk to us, and they will talk to you on the trail when they're campaigning. Um, but usually after a debate, they like to leave it all on the floor. They'll do some key television interviews, some big-time talk radio interviews, but they, they, they don't want to do the normal thing, but they do it when they feel they need to. So I t- took a look at this, and it just struck me that we had a campaign that was in its you know, it, it, where the end was near, and it, it you know turned out that I was I was right. Uh, were you struck at at the end of the uh, debate when uh, they kept the cameras on the stage and the candidates were shaking hands with members of the audience? Uh, that was the first time we got to look at uh, Tim Scott's much discussed boyfriend. He's fifty eight years old. He's never been married, and uh, and his girlfriend. Um, was uh was there she's a as as he's described her a lovely christian girl and a mother of three uh and uh so was that some indication the fact that she was brought out to the public for the first time that he may have been going into the debate realizing he was running out of money and uh and really had never cracked that six percent level that uh, I think they're going to be expecting in order to get a place in the next debate. Yeah, that's correct. I think the key thing to, to understand is is the next debate, the thresholds for donors and polling goes up. But the problem for Tim Scott was going to be that 6% in national polls threshold. Uh, his average national polling is like 2.5%, and there was just a feeling that he wasn't going to get there. You know, I thought the girlfriend thing was interesting <laughs> It's not something that I was aware of until after the debate. And some of my colleagues in the spin room were asking him about his girlfriend. And I was thinking to myself, wait, are we doing this again? Uh, <laughs> but now, you know, then I quickly realized why we were doing this again. You know, you'd think if you were going to do it, you'd do it earlier if it's such a thing. But I don't really know what was going on there because it seems to me that he didn't have such a horrible debate that he had to drop out four days later. You know, sometimes... I remember in 2016 um, at the Reagan Library, I think it was debate number two, and Scott Walker had a really uh, forgettable debate because he basically never said a word. And, you know, you put that all together with the troubles his campaign faced and he drops out. But, you know, Tim Scott, he controlled the talk time. He talked more than anybody else. He didn't do poorly. Um, He mixed it up well and and articulated his points of view uh, rather ably. I, I think this is something they must have been looking at, and he must have concluded, not unlike Mike Pence, that this that he, he could stay in, but it wasn't the kind of campaign that he wanted to run, just doing it for its own sake. And and he made a decision uh, to finish. So, you know, getting back to the girlfriend, if it was such an issue, 
and they only finally decided to publicize her because they thought that would help on Wednesday. I mean, they, again, they should have done it a long time ago if that's what they think of, you know, this particular vulnerability. Well, again, he, he made the announcement on Trey Gowdy's show, uh, weekend show on Fox News. And the two uh, of them served together in the House of Representatives, both from South Carolina. They're good friends. And uh, apparently, um, Trey Gowdy was taken by surprise, and his staff was taken by surprise. Uh, Tim Scott, according to reports, uh, said, and we'll play it for people uh, uh, later, but he said, when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential candidate, Scott said to a seemingly surprised Gowdy, who raised his eyebrows. The voters, who are the most remarkable people on the planet, they're telling me, not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, uh, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. What does that mean? Well, it means that he didn't think he could win, and and I think it's as simple as that. I mean, everybody that gets out of a race, I shouldn't say everybody, often when candidates get out of a race, they don't want to say outright that they can't win or couldn't win or were rejected. So they always put a little, you know, uh, French pastry on it by uh, trying to, you know, they dress it up just a little bit. So what he's trying to say is, I think that's not a reference to the girlfriend here. She's not French. Uh, No, it's a a reference to Al McGuire, who uh, used to call college basketball games the late Al McGuire. (laughs) When when a player would get a little bit too fancy for his taste, he would would refer to it as some French pastry. Um, um, Look, I think Tim Scott still thinks that he still may think that he's got a future running for president someday. Um, But, and so he didn't want to say that, yeah, I guess they don't like me. I guess they don't want me. He's just, you know, I I think the way he put it was fine, Michael, which is just, they're not going to vote for me right now. I am not getting anywhere. And he wasn't getting anywhere. And if anything, he had regressed, right? Nikki Haley had overtaken him. Um, Ron DeSantis, although sinking, you know, he, he was going to have a very uphill climb. And I think the truth of this is, and, and I got to this in my piece, whenever a candidate is running, you know, in all of the early primary states and then, uh, you know, on one magical day says, actually, I'm only going to focus on this state. The voters in that state don't decide to uh, respond with gratitude for being treated so special and therefore vote for you. What they see is a candidate who's having trouble, who's not going to win. And they don't want to waste their vote. Candidates do this every four years in some primary or another, thinking it's going to save them. There are exceptions to the rule. John McCain is one in 2008. But usually voters say, yeah, no, you're clearly not getting anywhere. You're going backwards, and I'm not going to help you. And I think Tim Scott saw the writing on the wall and decided to get out. And, again, get out on his own terms uh, before he went in. And it was really, really apparent that – they were saying no. And uh, what about the idea that he got out early like this to preserve his eligibility to be uh, the running mate for Donald J. Trump? I think he could have stayed in the race and preserved his eligibility. I think he can get out and preserve his eligibility. So I don't really think that has anything to do with it. I think he was trying to preserve long-term eligibility to control his state and not simply be the guy who got clobbered. 
David Drucker. He is the uh, author of the best-selling book, In Trump's Shadow. He's a senior writer at The Dispatch and is based, of course, in Washington, D.C. We will be right back with which candidate benefits most from uh, the uh, end of the Tim Scott campaign. We'll tell you. Coming up. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, the senator from South Carolina, junior senator from South Carolina, junior to Lindsey Graham, uh, Tim Scott has withdrawn from the race. He has suspended his campaign. He uh, had been running out of money, uh, running out of gas. He was operating on fumes, as David Drucker said in his piece about the Scott campaign. But uh, no one that I know of has ever quite announced the end of a campaign, which at one time had gotten a great deal of tension. He was taken very seriously as a potential challenger to President Trump. I believe he's being taken seriously now, according to many reports, as a potential vice presidential uh, nominee to President Trump. Uh, Tim Scott was very careful about uh, speaking graciously and positively about President Trump. And who knows, there there certainly are other potential candidates for vice president uh, that would be less helpful than uh, Tim Scott. He was on Fox News with Trey Gowdy, and their exchange in which he made his announcement sounded like this. One of the things I would recommend to every single American, I know it's not possible, by the way, if you ever want to love your country more, run for president. Traveling this country, meeting people has been one of the most fantastic experiences of my entire life. I love America more today than I did on May 22nd. But when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential uh, candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters... Uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet, have been really clear that they're telling me, uh, not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying, not now. And so I'm going to respect the voters, and I'm going to hold on and keep working really hard and uh, look forward to another opportunity. I mean, one thing he is not going to do, or at least he has said he's not going to do it sometime soon, is endorse another candidate. And uh, again, that, of course, keeps it uh, open for him to be chosen uh, by President Trump as a potential running mate. And uh, one of the things that you could see with Tim Scott, and you could see this with a number of the other people who've been out there on the stage, with uh, the uh, debates that they've had, the three debates on the Republican side this time, is if they do have uh, vice presidential debates, and I know they're planning to, uh, the (laughs) uh, there are a lot of people where it's fun as a Republican to think about those people debating Kamala Harris. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, by the way, anything having to do with Kamala Harris, uh, and this is a connection, there is a uh, a character named Kamala, except they pronounce it Kamala, in uh, the new movie The Marvels, which is the 33rd uh, Marvel uh, comic universe uh, motion picture. 
it uh, cost uh, an estimated $300 million to produce and to distribute the biggest flop in the history of Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) And it it wasn't the fault of the Kamala uh, character in in the movie, but uh, it was the fault of the movie because if you hadn't seen the first film, uh, Captain Marvel... Uh, you uh, had no idea what's going on, and I'm not even sure if you had seen the first film several times, you could understand what's going on in in this particular film. It uh, launched the Marvels, uh, Disney and uh, Marvel did, and it made just $47 million in domestic box office, uh, according to Studio Estimates Sunday. So there probably won't be a third film in the series, but who knows? They keep these things going. They did it with Ant-Man, and uh, we will we will see. Um, meanwhile, back to who benefits from Tim Scott pulling out. I don't think uh, it's necessarily uh, Kamala Harris who benefits. It's uh, uh, Nikki Haley. And the reason she benefits is is, first of all, Whatever uh, Tim Scott has been getting, and again, his his poll numbers were down there at 2%, 5%, 6% tops. Um, I think that the people who uh, have been enthusiastic about Tim Scott, uh, they're likely not to go directly to Trump. Otherwise, they would have gone to Trump before. So they may go to Nikki Haley, who seems to be surging again. But it's, it's even more important than that and more obvious. South Carolina, the South Carolina primary is February 24th of next year. It's a, a utterly crucial primary. It basically won the nomination for Joe Biden when he won in such a landslide in the South Carolina primary, thanks to the help of Jim Clyburn, etc., but if uh, uh, Nikki Haley has done well, and she doesn't have to win, but has done second or even third in both Iowa and New Hampshire, she comes to her home state. And she had a problem before because Tim Scott, who uh, is also a South Carolinian, had been appointed to the Senate by Governor Nikki Haley. And so if he does end up endorsing one of his rivals, I don't think it will be Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, I don't think it will be Donald Trump, though if he really does seriously want to run for vice president, that would probably be a prerequisite. Uh, And uh, certainly I don't think there was any particularly good chemistry between Tim Scott and uh, and uh, Ron DeSantis. But in terms of a longtime relationship and thanking the governor who actually appointed him to the U.S. Senate when he was a member of Congress from South Carolina, there is a relationship with Nikki Haley. And she did do very well, has done very well with the black community in, uh, in, in South Carolina with their campaigns for office. There was a piece in the New York Times about how uh, all of her campaigns for the state legislature, two campaigns for governor, 
she started off, she looked like a complete long shot. And then she stuck with it. And uh, she ended up uh, winning. She has never lost an election, uh, running for the state legislature in South Carolina and running twice for governor. So uh, will she become a more direct challenger for uh, uh, President Trump? Who knows? Uh, But it, it seems to me that it is still early and there is a lot going on. With a lot better focus, it's it's very likely that they will have only uh, three candidates up there on stage, and unless Trump changes his mind, decides to show up, which he probably won't. Uh, one of the other developments is uh, that um, they're finally cleaning up San Francisco. Is that because the situation with homeless people? and drug addiction on the streets uh, and uh, the total collapse of public safety is so bad that uh, they they actually got rid of the uh, district attorney there who had been a George Soros uh, protege, uh, Chesa Bowden. And uh, no, the uh, reason that they are cleaning up San Francisco, well, we'll leave it to you. Uh, finally, Trey Gowdy gets the last word because he was uh, speaking in reaction to uh, Tim Scott's sudden announcement of a suspended campaign on uh, Trey Gowdy's TV show on Fox. Listen. You are suspending Trey? your presidential campaign. You, 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 have, you have plenty of money. You have the highest approval numbers of any candidate that is running and you're you're a couple of states away from coming to a state where you are beloved and you are suspending your presidential campaign. You, you know, uh, Romans 8, 28, such an important uh, scripture. It says that uh, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I, I think the message is clear for me right now. And uh, there there it is, a uh, about as dignified a withdrawal as you could possibly get. Uh, Meanwhile, a bizarre shooting involving Secret Service agents in Washington. Who are they trying to go after? We don't know, but we'll tell you what's going on and